Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Well, hello, folks. Welcome to yet another edition of the Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Caraggio. Today, our guest, we are very, very happy to have Craig Dio in to talk a little bit about today about engagement in healthcare and and how it can transform, uh, how, how things can tra- different things, different items can transform healthcare, especially here in 2019 and moving forward. Before we talk with you, Craig, thank you so much for being here. By the way, yeah, my pleasure. You got it. I, I just want to read your bio real quick. Let folks know all that you have done and are doing. Um, Craig has been a member of the senior executive team for the Studer Group since back in 2006. He is a national speaker on topics related to leadership, accountability, patient experience, quality, and safety. He co-led Studer Group's Baldridge journey and now spends most weeks working inside healthcare organizations to sort of help leaders design their own journeys toward excellence. Craig serves on the quality committee of his local health system and is passionate about making healthcare better. That's why we have him here today. Craig, thank you so much. My pleasure. You got it. You got it. Okay. You recently, um, well, your, 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 your book is out, yep. right? Uh, the book is The E-Factor, How Engaged Patients, Clinicians, Leaders, and Employees Will Transform Healthcare. Tell us about, wh- why did you want to write this? Yeah, sure. So it started as an observation. Our group's been around for about 20 years now, helping healthcare organizations transform their cultures so that they can create better places to work, practice medicine, and receive care. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that over the years, there's been a real evolution of moving from concepts of trying to measure and improve employee and, and provider satisfaction to really moving towards engagement, which are really fundamentally two different concepts. Yeah. But we hadn't really seen that same shift yet when it comes to measuring and improving the experiences of our patients. So to contrast that, I can be highly satisfied working at an organization because the boss lets me go early every day, uh, but I'm not engaged in those extra hours in the pursuit of its mission. So I can be 100% satisfied and 0% engaged at the same time. Hmm. And we saw healthcare executives understanding the difference between those concepts, yet too often still talking about patient satisfaction alone, which is a valid, important measure, but that's very different than whether the patient's fully engaged in owning their own healthcare. And so the book was really an opportunity to pull together the evidence around engagement and try to point it towards how to improve the experience and engagement of our patients so that the 40% of deaths and 70% of costs that are attributable to the lifestyle, behavioral issues, the decisions that we make when we're not right in front of that physician can also be impacted while they're within the health system. How Give our listeners some ways that improve the engagement. How do, how do, you, how do you accomplish that? Sure. First, it starts with not making assumptions about why people are engaged or not. It starts with actually looking at evidence and data uh, unique to the individual. So. Okay. You know, we can take each of those audiences uniquely. Within a um, healthcare organization that may have hundreds or thousands of employees, too often I hear uh, generalizations made about uh, employees who may have been born in a certain year. You know, we talk a lot about millennials in the workplace and the fact that we've got five generations working in the same place. All true, but if you try to lead me based on the facts that I'm a Gen Xer, then you might stereotype that I want to be, you know, riding a skateboard raging against the machine instead of really putting in the hours. And so you have to know what motivates Craig and what motivates Chris and what's important to us. And it's not just looking at general organizational level data, but individually. And it's the same with our patients. We can make inferences based on um, history that they've had in lab results, 
But it starts with asking basic questions like what matters to you and why are you here and how can we make sure that we get you back to the kind of wellness that matters to you, not just to resolve the disease state, but maybe it's because you want to be playing with your kids again out on the soccer field. And if that's the case, then that might be the motivator that's actually going to keep you as part of a real engaged uh, part of the team. So it's, it's you know, looking at the person as an individual, like you said, right? I mean, that's, that's the beginning stages of, of increasing that engagement. It's critical. We can't make assumptions about it. We have to ask the questions and do yeah. the hard work it takes on the front end to have uh, a clear understanding of what the goal of that person is. And then it has to become part of the culture to, you know, uh, not like, oh, I have to remember to ask where it just happens, right? Absolutely. Yeah, too often we see uh, lip service given to things like being patient-centered as an example, yeah. yet the day-to-day -day actions... Treating like family, that right. sort of thing, right? And who would disagree, right? Yeah. I mean, we all have all the right aspirational statements around there, but when we look at how we're actually deploying that, the magic has to be that we have very customized experiences for us as an employee or as a patient of an organization, yet we have standardized work behind the scenes that allows that to be done with great precision and systematically instead of random acts of customization. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. So how's the book doing? Uh, good. I, I enjoy <laughs> having conversations about it. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, uh, it, and it's uh, always fulfilling when people say that it helped turn on some light bulbs that satisfaction, experience, and engagement are all important, valid, reliable concepts, but are all distinctive and need different plans of action as well. Well, it's, it's critical information that people need to know moving forward. It really is. So, so kudos for writing that and, and all the luck with it. Let's talk a little bit about, I mentioned in your bio, your work with uh, the Studer Group. Tell me about that. Sure. So for, uh, as I said, the last 20 years has been working with health systems across North America, Australia, even some other countries. And the, um, the critical things we've been asked to help with have really been around the human behavioral changes that are probably the hardest things we have to do. There are so many mandates around putting new systems into place, redesigning processes, adopting new technologies. But at the end of the day, nothing happens unless somebody decides to give discretionary effort when nobody's watching. Mm. Um, and so we see a lot of distinctions around um, organizations making improvement only to see that improvement fade away. And so what we were really purpose-built to do is to help hardwire cultures that are sustainable over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's pretty remarkable. And I think that the more evidence comes in around the uniqueness of healthcare in that, it's really important. I, I think um, there was a Harvard Business Review whole edition last January that looked at cultural styles in healthcare. And like every other industry, we have a culture that prioritizes results and a culture of caring. We distinguish by having a great culture of purpose, but where we really lag is having a culture of innovation, which is really uh, uh, punctuated by cultures of learning and enjoyment. Other industries are far better at creating those agile, uh, innovative cultures than healthcare is, and so a lot of our work now is helping to systematically create cultures of innovation where people take intelligent risks, uh, that we reward efforts towards the outcomes and try to really create um, agility in organizations that may have a whole lot of history of staying purpose-built for the way that they were designed 100 years ago. And creativity in the healthcare space is different than innovation, right? I mean, one has to, they're similar, but the innovation is the execution. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people, when you ask, are, are you innovative or aspire to be innovative, yeah. they'll say, well, you know, gosh, I'm no Steve Jobs. And what we're increasingly learning is that innovation is a learned trait. It's not about whether I am a inherently creative person or not. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, here we are this week at uh, ACHE's annual meeting and there's thousands of leaders from around the globe together. And I always think, gosh, if I have a challenge somewhere, the idea and the solution is probably somewhere in this hotel right now. 
And so the skill of networking is actually a dimension of being innovative. It's not necessarily having a shower and coming up with genius. It's about going and finding the solution, being open to new ideas. And so things like associating from other industries to ours, networking, uh, questioning more than uh, telling are all skills that can be learned and applied that aren't just about my base level of creativity. Yeah, I, I think people, I'm glad you said that because people need to hear that because some people might say, oh, well, you know, that's not my skill set. I, 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 you know, I, I don't have that. But like you said, it's a learned trait. It is. It's a learned trait and it can be reinforced in the organizations in which we work. Mm -hmm. There are individuals who might not feel very innovative or creative that work in an environment that encourages them to take risks and rewards them from the learning that comes out of that and suddenly they find themselves doing and feeling innovative. Mm -hmm. There's other organizations where I could come in feeling very creative and innovative but really frankly be stifled because of my narrow functional goals or because of the you know rewards for outcomes without learning etc where I don't really develop those skills because I'm not pushed to take those harder risks that are yeah. required. Good. Well, well put. Let's talk now, Craig, if we could. Uh, and again, you're an expert in this, but the, uh, patient, patients' expectations, as opposed to what the um, uh, physicians and the medical staff provide. There's a gap, right? We need to close that gap, and it, it is closing, right? With, with just being, being, uh, having ACHE. Uh, here and, and doing and networking and learning new traits, but can you talk a little bit about about how to close that gap a little bit from patient, you know, needs and wants to what is being provided? Sure, I'll start first on the positive because, okay. as you said, there are there is evidence that the gap is being closed, and so the data set on that is that every quarter, when the uh, publicly available results come out from CMS on how patients rate their care. Mm -hmm. Every single composite, every single quarter has been higher rated than the one before it. That's Care in this country is improving according to patients, yet the gap remains. And if you ask patients what they want out of a care experience, number one on the list is to listen to me, which is a really low bar when I think about that. And if you, you probe deeper on that, what patients really want is they're assuming that the quality there and the safety is there. So most organizations understand that really that isn't something we can take for granted. Uh, organizations like ACHE are leading the way and having people uh, believe safety is a, a key you know, um, tenet of how we should lead. And so I like the pyramid of thinking at the, the bottom of this, what we need to do for our patients is first, not harm them, to second, to help them improve their care, and third, to be nice to me, listen to me, uh, make sure you communicate with me in a way I understand, uh, allow me to make this experience uh, accessible and convenient despite the other challenges here and add to my um, my enjoyment, fulfillment, and engagement instead of contributing negatively to or that based on the experience I have with the system. It's so interesting that you say that because, you know, we've sat here the last three days doing uh, podcast after podcast and, and educational video after educational video, and we've had CEOs of healthcare systems sitting where you're sitting and uh, coaches of CEOs sitting where you're sitting. And the theme is exactly what you just said right there at the top of that pyramid is, you know, it's common sense, but just be nicer, you know, be more self-aware because um, that will make you a better leader and, and in turn will make the, uh, the patient experience at your hospital or at your healthcare system better right? Is it, it's almost simple, but it's hard to execute, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, behavior change at scale is a really hard thing to do. And that's what leaders are really being called upon. 
And there's a couple things I'd, I'd point you towards as exciting examples of this. There's a health system I've worked with recently whose vision is to be the most empathetic health system in the world, Okay. which I think is really remarkable. And then there's a team of physicians that we work with who are actually have a, a forthcoming book called Compassionomics, which is all the medical evidence behind compassion and its impact on safety, on quality, on engagements, on health outcomes, on population health measures and wellness. And if you boil down all the work we're trying to do in engaging our patients, it really is about having an empathetic, compassionate moment with our patients that can actually support their desire to engage, make the kind of hard changes that they have to do at times in their lives and really feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, because it's not just a way of behaving. Like you said, there is evidence now behind it, right? Very clear, very yeah. clear evidence. Um, you're a, a faculty member with ACHE, correct? I'm very proud to be. Yeah, very proud to be. So can you talk a little bit about um, ACHE's choice program, which is that which is that new tailored professional development series, that on-site series. Can you talk about how beneficial that is? Sure, I think it's nice that ACHE is able to blend both their uh, very rigorous and refined curriculum that they teach in their regional clusters and other seminar opportunities with the opportunity to customize that content to bring it on-site. And so it starts with a body of knowledge that's been really nicely codified and vetted as being effective and you know worth granting the, the, the credit, which is a high bar that ACHE offers and then really tailoring it on site. And I always start those conversations with executives by asking them, uh, given this topic, if I were to hit a home run for you and your team, what will we have achieved that day? We define what we want people to know and feel and be able to do differently after that. We compare that to the content and we really then tailor the message and the activities to what is most purposeful and meaningful to the organization at the time. So it's a nice blend. It's an opportunity to bring evidence-based curriculum, but tailor it uh, to the topics and, and focus that the organization needs at that moment. Great. Great. Um, what about um, for you, Craig, and you've done so well here in, in the few minutes we, we've been speaking, but for the listeners, people are thinking, okay, you know, I want to I execute everything that Craig, I agree with everything Craig's saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to read his book, I'm going to do all that, but how do you, how does someone take that step toward executing um, all that you said in improving healthcare, the steps to improve healthcare? So it reminds me of a a quote by Tolstoy that I often end uh, presentations with that says that everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. (laughs) And so as leaders, we have a choice. And the choice is we can either own our futures or be disrupted by them. It's the vision that we have in our organization. It's what we're advising organizations to do. And I think this is an exciting time in healthcare. Um, There is transformation. There is uh, volatility and uncertainty and complexity and ambiguity. And in those moments, it presents leaders an opportunity to make bold decisions that can transform their organizations, the missions, the communities that they serve. There's too many others, though, that instead of leading, which is doing the right things, they are really just managing, which is doing the minimum that we need to be compliant and commit to the requirements that we have. Yeah, they're checking those boxes that need to be checked, but there's so much more. Right. Yeah, and, and I think it's important that we continue to uh, identify great examples of management excellence. But leadership excellence is doing things not because I have to, but because my mission compels me to do so. And so it's fulfilling to hear about you know, what organizations are doing on topics like uh, human trafficking or the opioid epidemic or homelessness and other social determinants, not because some third party is telling them that they must, but because their values and their mission compel them to do yeah, so. Yeah, they feel it, right? right? That passion is there. Absolutely. That's what gets me excited. That's great. That's great. And, and speaking of what gets you excited, could you, if you can crystallize where you want, maybe in, if we had this discussion 
uh, five years from now? What would have been accomplished? What, it, it, what, what are some things that you hope happen? Well, on a very granular level, one thing that I'll be excited about is when I start hearing people uh, very crisply differentiate between the words satisfaction and engagement, mm -hmm. have evidence that they're actually measuring that within all their key stakeholders, whether it's internal or external, and then that they have sustainable results against that, that they can say that patients in our community, and maybe not even the word patient, maybe it's people or consumers in our community are doing a better job truly owning their health and that we're not talking about becoming patient-centered and then simply giving examples of how we're you know, standing up a patient portal, but we're actually transforming the experience and the engagement for the people in our community in terms of their ownership of their wellness. That's what would get me excited. And you know, it's very interesting. You just mentioned something there because we just had uh, Alan Cassie, who is a, a CEO of a hospital in, in Tallahassee, Florida, and he said the exact thing that you just said. He said, you know, sometimes I wish we didn't even use the word patient. We used friend or neighbor or mom or dad or child, you know, ch my, my son. You know, individualize that person instead of just calling it that kind of blanket patient. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's the first step towards engagement is always through the doorway of trust. Mm -hmm. And if I view that we have a transactional relationship, that you're going to patch me up in this episode when I'm not doing well, um, we're not really developing the trust that's required for me to fully engage as part of this partnership. So I like that. It's probably also the fact that he's also in the Florida panhandle like me. So maybe we're uh, maybe we can be the leaders in this. There you go. There you go. And he's young like you too. <laughs> uh, okay, the book. Let me let me just kind of tout the book again. It is the E Factor: How Engaged Patients, Clinicians, Leaders, and Employees Will Transform Healthcare. Craig Dio, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Let me shake your hand. Thanks, Chris. Great job. Folks, please subscribe to the Healthcare Executive Podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. I'm your host, Chris Caraggio. We'll see you next time. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org. <laughs>